Amen. Well, good morning, Blue Water. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Really glad that you're here today. Thanks for making time to spend some time with us. Before we jump into the message this morning, I have a few things that we need to mention. The first thing is just got word from Jamie and Jillian Kingswood that yesterday they welcomed baby boy number five into their family. So that's exciting. Also yesterday, our very own Pastor Brandon got engaged. So there's Brandon back there. So congratulations to Brandon and Emma. That is super duper exciting. Um, We are trying to use our facility to the max that we can use it. We're trying to like, like get every inch of space that we can use it and use it to the best ability that we can. So the reason I bring that up is there's a non-zero chance that at some point we might hear sound bleeding over this way or if you end up being upstairs, there might be sound bleeding that way. It's a good problem to have, right? Um, what I said first service and, and no one laughed is that if you hear like a, like a, a you know, a fat beat, mm, Mm, mm. And if I'm talking over it, just pretend I'm a rapper, and um, I'm not, and, uh, but hopefully that would be cool. You guys didn't find it any funnier than first service did. I guess it's just not that funny. Maybe, maybe I won't tell that joke next service. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. A couple Christmases ago, one of the, um, uh, someone who goes to our church invited their adult daughter to come to the Christmas Eve service. And, and uh, this lady's in her, I think, mid-20s, grew up in the church and at one point made a profession of faith in Christ, but since has walked away and really has quite a degree of animus towards the Lord and to the church now. Um, but she was invited to come to Christmas Eve, and this girl said, um, I, in response to the invitation, she said, I'll come as long as no one tries to convert me. And uh, I heard this story secondhand, but when I heard it, I sort of chuckled to myself and thought, We're, this is blue water. We definitely are not going to guarantee that. As a matter of fact, the big E on the eye chart for us is that you, if you come to Blue Water, the one thing we can guarantee is that we are going to do everything we can to try and convert you. Why? Because the scripture tells us that there are very real, eternal consequences to not being converted, to, to, to not believing in Jesus Christ. The scripture is very clear about that. Which, of course, raises some questions when we talk about being converted. Converted to what and converted from what? Those are some of the questions that we are going to answer this morning. But before we get to that, I need to remind you that we are wrapping up our uh, fall series, our kickoff series, where we have been walking through a number of the things that make us us, a number of the things that make Blue Water Blue Water, kind of the DNA, our heartbeat, the things that, that drive us. And uh, today we are talking about, well, the title of the sermon is that conversion is key. Conversion is key. We believe that conversion is so important. Now, the starting point for this discussion, though, starts on not some good news. As a matter of fact, the starting point starts on some really bad news. And the bad news is that we are all broken. Every single one of us, we are all broken. And when we gathered outside, like we've got 
a million kids around here lately, which is awesome. So fantastic to see. And, and when Pastor Steve would dismiss the kids, it was like a tsunami of kids walking over to their, to their class. So fun to see. And all those angelic faces, they're so cute. You want to pinch all those cheeks? Guess what? Every single one of them is broken. Not one of them had to be taught how to sin. In fact, the very first thing for every single one of us that comes out of our mouth when we enter this world is what? Me. <laughs> I don't like this. I, this is not how I thought this was going to go, right? The first thing on every one of our lips. And this is true of all of us because we are all broken. In fact, the language that the scripture uses is that we are all spiritually dead. We are unable to fix the problem that we have. And we need to come clean with this because this brokenness, it, it applies to all of us and it applies to us as a church. So if you're new at Blue Water, probably the first thing that you need to do is set your expectations really low. Okay? If you set your expectations low, we're going to have a hard time, uh, you know, uh, it'll be easier for you the first time we don't meet your expectations, okay? And I'm saying that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I run into people all the time that say, you know, I'm not really into church because church is just full of hypocrites. And my response is always, this is what we're trying to tell you. That's true. We are all broken. Now, we don't like hypocrisy. We're, we don't say that that's a good thing. It's just the reality of the human condition, though. We are all broken. I've had a lot of conversations with people recently who say something to the effect of, I'm new to Blue Water and I just love what Blue Water does. I, I just, uh, we're having so much fun and everything that Blue Water does is so great and that's fantastic. And I always tell people, just wait. Because I don't know if you remember, if, uh, when you first get a new boyfriend or new, or new girlfriend, everything is so fun and everything that that person does is just so cute. They're just so adorable. Give it a bit of time and you're like, that is so weird. <laughs> just give it some time. And if you're new to Blue Water, just give it some time. We might be cute now. It's going to get weird pretty soon. <laughs> and the reason for that is because we are all broken and we need to be converted. We believe that conversion is key. So what this means is, since we are all broken and we're unable to help ourselves, that's the bad news, the good news is that what we need is someone from outside us to come in and change us on the inside, and that is what conversion is. Now, if I can be completely honest, in our culture, uh, the evil one gets his best work done in a couple of different ways. The first way that the devil gets his best work done is by convincing us that he's not here. That's the, the first way that he gets his best work done. The second thing, his big strategy in our culture is this. He doesn't go after, he doesn't attack the good news of the gospel. What he has done in our culture is he's actually gone after the bad news that the good news is predicated upon. So in other words, I don't really need help, do I? Like, I'm, I don't have a problem. Like other people, other people might have problems, and if they have problems, then maybe, you know, Jesus is good for them, but I, I, don't, I don't need to be converted. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. As a matter of fact, if you're going to weigh out my good versus my bad, I'm, I'm, I mean, it might be, I've got some bad, but it's probably, you know, like I, I'm a pretty good person. The, the evil one attacks 
the bad news, and so oftentimes we are not convinced that we need to be converted. And so there's this cognitive dissonance that that creates in us, because on one hand, um, we, we uh, say things like, nobody is, what? Starts with P and ends with perfect? Nobody's perfect, right? Nobody's perfect. <laughs> we have these things like, oh, everyone needs a second chance. And we have this thing where, where like if we sin against someone else, if we wrong someone else, oh, just give me another chance. Nobody's perfect. But if someone wrongs us, boy, we want justice. When was the last time someone cut you off in traffic and how did you respond? Just be honest. Um, Val and I have a friend recently. Actually, this friend spoke at Blue Water within the past year. And he was telling us recently as we were having lunch with him that um, when he stayed in Sarnia. So the night before he spoke at Blue Water, uh, he's got a cousin that he stayed with that lives in Sarnia. And uh, as they were hanging out, his cousin and, and his cousin's wife were uh, uh, dipped into uh, the wine and it was flowing maybe a little too freely and things got a little awkward when the cousin's wife said, I, I, have, I have a problem with something that you say. <laughs> and, and my friend went, oh, uh, what's going on? And my friend's extended family are largely not believers, so he's the family pastor, so he does all the weddings, all the funerals. And this lady said, um, at every funeral that you do, you say, we're all broken. She said, my, my precious grandbabies are not broken. Things got a little awkward in the room. But the reality is, it's not going to be very long before her precious grandbabies, who, listen, because they're made in the image and likeness of God, have dignity and value and worth. They're beautiful, they're precious, they are. But they're broken. And it's not going to be very long before those precious grandbabies let their grandma down. I mean, and grandmas have a threshold. Like, grandmas have a generous threshold. You know, any grandmas in the house? Grandma's got a generous threshold, and guess what? They're still going to let her down. Why? because we are all broken, every single one of us. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6 says this. We'll throw this on the screen for you. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6 says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. Let me say that again. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. We could say a lot about this, uh, about this one verse, especially about the, the actual language, that he, what he's referring to when he talks about filthy rags. And what he's saying is that at our best, our best stuff, the best we can bring to the table in God's sight, it's like disgusting, filthy rags. All our best stuff is worthless and vile. So how do we get out of this mess? We're in deep weeds, we can't fix the problem ourselves. Our best stuff is like filthy rags. Where does this leave us? It leaves us where we started, that what we need is to be converted. What we need is someone from the outside to change us on the inside so that we can be different. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we will throw this on the screen for you as, uh, as well, because another way that the scripture talks about this problem that we have is it talks about the fact that we need spiritual life. We need to be brought to spiritual life out of spiritual death. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, 
and the new is here. This is the conversion that we're talking about. We're turning away from our old way of living and turning to Christ in faith so that he can make us new on the inside. Now at Blue Water, um, what we, here's our thing, the way that we generally go about this. We want everyone to bring their own copy of God's word, okay? And we will have generally one passage, today we got two, that we want you to turn to. If there's any uh, side passages that we're just kind of bouncing to quickly, we'll put, this, put them on the screen like this one. But uh, we want you to turn to the main text, and so I want you to grab your Bibles now and turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37, starting in verse 1. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, and if you go under events, you can find uh, Blue Water and uh, all of the scriptures that you need, all of the, we have sermon notes, application questions, all that will be there for you. But we really want you to have the, the scripture open in front of you. In Ezekiel chapter 37, starting in verse 1, um, there is a, a kid's song from, I mean, if you're old like me, you might remember a kid's song is, that comes from this, this vision that God gave to Ezekiel. As we read through this, see if you can get that kid's song. See if you can figure out what it is. So Ezekiel chapter 37, starting in verse 1, says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. So we need to understand this is not happening to him like like physically, this is a vision that the Lord gave him, okay? Verse two. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Now, if you read through the book of Ezekiel, time after time, this is the catchphrase that you see again and again in Ezekiel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Verse 7. So I prophesied, says Ezekiel, I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded to me, as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life, and they stood up on their feet, a vast army. And the reason why I find this picture in the scripture to be so compelling is because, friends, that's a picture of us. That's a picture of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. There was a point when spiritually we were dead, dead as a doornail, dead. Nothing but dry bones. No chance, no, no bit of life left in them at all. And God breathed the breath of life into us. Someone from outside changed us on the inside converted us 
and brought us to spiritual life. This is what happens to Christians. This is a picture of what happens to Christians. There's an amazing picture of this in the New Testament as well. So uh, flip over with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, starting in verse 17. It's not just the Old Testament that we see this um, idea of, of the new birth, that this idea of being converted, okay? In John chapter 11, starting in verse 17, I'll give you some context. Jesus had some really good friends, three siblings, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And uh, we meet them earlier in the Gospel of John. At some point, Lazarus gets very sick, and they know he's on his deathbed. And so they send word to Jesus, who is their good friend. They know he's a healer. They're like, hey, come and and Lazarus is going to die. We need you to come and heal him. But rather than Jesus running over and healing Lazarus, he actually, on purpose, stays where he is. And he waits for a number of days before eventually he gets to their house. Here's what happens. John chapter 11, starting in verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come, from, uh, had come to Mary, Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So uh, just push pause for a second. You have to understand, in a very patriarchal society like that one, um, like I said in uh, last service, like if, if, if I got hit by a bus this afternoon, Val's going to be fine. Like, you know, uh, she's, she is not going to have a trouble without uh, me in uh, Actually, life might be easier for you if I'm not in your way, <laughs> if, we're, if we're saying this truthfully. Uh, in this context, it was not like that. Single women or women without uh, a patriarch to kind of care for them or, or what have you, this was a really not a good situation, open to all kinds of, of abuse of other men taking advantage of them. So the fact that their brother, who was their head, I guess, who, who was looking after them, the fact that he had died, this is not just the sorrow of losing a brother. There is a lot more going into this, okay? Um, verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And you can, you can like, Picture, you can almost feel the the sorrow just dripping from her words. Like, Jesus, where were you? Why didn't you come? You could have healed him. Verse 22. But I know, she continued, that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, "I, I know, I know. I know that he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And again, we got to be careful not to miss some things here because the, the word Jehovah or Yahweh, like God's name, it's I am. That's what it means. So Jesus uses that language. It, the, he, he does this on purpose. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's saying, I am God. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Okay, so we're going to skip a bunch of verses, jump down to verse 38. Can we pick up the story? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. 
It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Okay, so, so we need to picture much like what we picture on Easter, the grave that Jesus had, right? It's a, it's a cave. It's got a stone that has, covers the entrance. Verse 39, take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, Martha's always super practical, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, uh, by this time there's a bad odor. He's been there four days. In other words, Martha's like, I don't think you want to do this. Verse 40. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I know that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus, I love this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now we have to, we have to picture what this is. They, they didn't wrap the feet individually. So when it says Lazarus came out of the tomb, he didn't walk out of the tomb. He came hopping out of the tomb. Like, you know, the, the potato sack races? That's how, that's how Lazarus came out of the tomb, okay? He came hopping out of the tomb. And here again, we have this picture of how it works. Again, what Jesus did physically to Lazarus, that's what he does spiritually in the lives of believers when we are converted. We were spiritually dead, and Christ called, and we respond to spiritual life. So I have a question for you. When Lazarus was laying in that tomb, how many decisions was he making? Tell me. None. He wasn't making any decisions. Why not? Because he was dead. <laughs> dead people don't make an awful lot of decisions. But Lazarus and those dry bones in the, the Valley of Dry Bones, when God called, they had no choice but to respond and respond to eternal life. Respond to life. This is what it is to be converted. Your old values, your old way of life, your old priorities, the things that you used to be fired up about, all of a sudden you don't see those things the same way anymore. And yes, it may take some time. During catechism, Neil talked about the, the process of sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus. This is exactly what this is talking about. But more and more, those things that we used to be excited and fired up about, we see them as bankrupt. We see them as hollow. We see them as empty, especially when compared to the glories of Christ in following him. The other thing that both of these pictures, the Valley of Dry Bones and the Raising of Lazarus, the, the other thing that um, both of these things illustrate is that our new life is not contingent on us. Um, Lazarus lying in, in that grave or those dry bones in the valley what could they have possibly done to deserve or earn or buy the new life that they've been given? Nothing. They, nothing they could do to earn or deserve or buy it. All they could do was receive that free gift of life. 
And the reason why I bring this up is because the distortion that always comes along with the Christian faith, or really any faith, the distortion that is always there is that the gospel means not that you receive the gift of life freely, the gospel is that you need to earn it. And even Christians fall into this sometimes, right? Like, I, I have to earn God's favor. So like Neil's example of, of the Lord pulling us up by a rope. I, I'm not gonna rely on the Lord to pull me up. I'm gonna pull myself up, thank you very much. That's not how that works. It's not contingent on us. It's contingent on him in what he has done for us. And the place where, I think in our culture right now, the biggest place that we need to worry about this is in something called the social justice movement. And the social justice movement has found deep roots within the Christian faith, uh, partly because um, there are real injustices in the world that need to be fixed, that need to be corrected. And this is something that Christians need to be doing. But that's not the social justice movement. The social justice movement says that you are made right, you are justified, you are converted, if you will, not by just receiving free grace from God, you're converted based on what you do. And so there are these issues, and if, if you don't signal your virtue by, by putting something on your, your profile picture on your social media platform, if you don't do that, then, then you are not very loving. And listen, uh, I, I have, in the past month or so, I have had people uh, um, uh, calling into question the faith of Blue Water because um, we don't tend to change our profile picture for the church and put things on it. And, and judging us based on, whether, based on what our social media platform picture is. That's something that we work for. That's something that you work for, and that is the opposite of the gospel. The gospel, the good news, is someone from the outside changes us on the inside so that we can live for him. The social, gospel, or the social justice movement says what you do justifies you or not and we're going to condemn you or consider you righteous depending on what you do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. We'll throw this on the screen quickly. I'm keeping you over time, but Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is the gospel. And this is not from yourselves. What's not from yourselves? The faith that you need to be to receive that grace. It's a gift of God. It's not by works. It's not by what you do so that, uh, uh, so that no one can boast, Okay. So this is not about what we do. So like if I, if it was about uh, uh, what I could bring to the table and I accepted the Lord five minutes before Mike did, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to be bragging to Mike, man, Mike, it's really too bad that you didn't get this figured out five minutes before, man, because maybe you could have been better than me, but I, I figured this out five minutes before you, right? We would brag about it, but it's not about us. We would boast if it was. Verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, why are we making such a big deal about this? Because we believe that conversion is key. Maybe you're thinking, how does this work? Going to close our time together with uh, shamelessly stealing an illustration from our chief catechist, Neil. My boys are old now, older, late teens, early 20s, but I remember when they were just, just young. 
And any of you that have young boys, maybe your experience was the same as, as, as mine was, but it was like having a couple pet raccoons. Like they were, they're smelly, uh, they're fun as anything, but they're, it seemed like their entire goal in life was destruction. Like the more I valued something, they were like happier to destroy it. Eventually, um, if you have little boys, just wait, because eventually they do that to your car. Uh, <laughs> I learned that the hard way. Um, but they're fun, but they're stinky, and they have this real aversion to something that we call personal hygiene. Have you noticed? Um, trying to bathe a little boy, in my experience, was like trying to bathe a cat. <laughs> Just like stuff everywhere. It was crazy. They're so messy, so stinky, so fun. But then one day, they come down the stairs, and you have to look twice because all of a sudden they've got product in their hair. And all of a sudden, they don't smell bad. They actually smell pretty good. Well, it takes a little bit to, I always say, it takes, especially uh, at that sort of, at that juncture, there, it takes a little while to figure out how much body spray to use. You know what I mean? So for a while, there's like a cloud of Axe body spray that hovers around them. So you smell them coming around the corner before they, before they get there. But, but you, you, can't, you can't keep them out of the shower. Your, your uh, hydro bill goes through the roof. Why? What's the difference? You know what the difference is. The difference is that that girl sitting over there who 10 minutes ago they were convinced had cooties, all of a sudden sudden, there is something strangely compelling about that girl. (laughs) Like Neil says, all of a sudden they're converted. (laughs) All of a sudden they're changed. There's a change on the inside. And they can't help but behaving differently because of the change that's on the inside. And listen, it's not a perfect picture, but that's kind of what it is with the Christian life. Someone from the outside changes us on the inside so that everything that we used to be about is crazy and we live for Jesus. And if you've never experienced the new life that comes from being converted, listen, please talk to me after because I would love to tell you more about what it is to be a Christian because this is what we're talking about. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that when we were lost and broken without hope, like the scripture says, without hope and without God in the world, when we were in that place, you came for us. And for those of us who are believers, you called and we came out of the grave. This isn't something that we earn or deserve or anything like that. We rely on the grace that you show to us. And Lord God, I pray that this week you would help us to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of of you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's to you that we give all glory, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks, friends. Hope you have an awesome day. Thank you so much for, for being here. And listen, if you registered, please give yourself a big pat on the back because we love it when you register. <laughs> so thanks, gang. Have a great day. You're loved.